We are beginning the first of seven or eight C's, and that is creation. The point that we want to illustrate, and the reason that we are studying them in this way, is that we want to be able to defend our faith, but we also want to be able to share it with those that we come in contact with. So what we are doing, the primary objective that we looked at last week of the church was to make disciples, and that requires that we be able to share the gospel clearly, boldly, and accurately, and it also requires that we then train up those who know Jesus as Savior, and we begin to build them up. You're going to notice over the next several weeks and in the months to come that we are moving every single ministry and opportunity in the church to that one single goal. So that discipleship becomes our primary objective, both before you know Christ as Savior, raising you up to come to know Christ as Savior, and secondly, to train you up in the body of Christ. Everything, every ministry is going to be kind of brought back together. This isn't anything new. This is the church's one objective, brought back together and focused on that one direction. So you're going to notice that coming up in the committees and the organizations and to the individuals as we move through. But you're also going to notice that this becomes the theme as we look at the seven C's. Now, as we look at them, you're going to recognize them from Sunday evening. You're also going to, if you're part of the youth group, you're going to see them in the youth group. You're going to hear about them in Sunday school. And so in that understanding, we're looking at them in different ways. Today, we're looking at creation, the first of the seven C's, or I'm adding an eighth one in there. And so as we look at creation, we have an objective. And our objective this morning is obedience. Will we be obedient? As we look at God, will we be obedient as we look at God's creation? And will we be trained to disciple? Have you ever looked up at the stars on a clear, cold, dark night? The other night, Friday night, we had game night. The power went off, 1030. And we went out to say goodbye to all of our guests who now had no light to play games by. And so as we said good good night to them, Lisa and I looked up and... Uh, There was no light around us, and you look up in the stars, and they're brilliance. Have you ever stood on the beach as the sun set to the west? Have you ever climbed a mountain and looked out over the mountains that stood below you? Have you ever stood at the front of a powerful summer thunderstorm? If I took a survey of the emotions that you felt at those times, I imagine that you would say a few things like this. One, you felt small. I always feel small when I see the thunderclouds approaching. Second, you would probably say you stood in awe and wonder. You marveled at it. You see, there is something about God's creation that invokes a response in people. Not just God's people, but in people. But especially it invokes that response in God's people. For the believer, it should stand as a reminder that we have been tasked with sharing the gospel and training those who believe. That should be boldly out there every time we watch a thunderstorm roll through. Or every time we stand on the beach and watch the sun rise or set. You see, the idea that I want us to focus on this morning is this. The wonder of God's creation should motivate God's people. And it should motivate God's people specifically in obedience. The wonder of God's creation should motivate God's people in obedience. This morning we're going to survey look the last few chapters of the book of Job. And as we do so, God does something incredible with Job. And he begins to pull things out of creation. that you go, wow, our God is a mighty God. And Job says, 
I will shut my mouth and speak no more. You see, we're going to learn all about the wonders of God's creation tonight as we look at the stars in our, not literally, but in our study tonight. But I want us to look back at all of it and begin to understand why Job was so impacted by what God said. And as we do so, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your creation because what it does for us is it validates the message that what we believe and who you are and what you have done is all accurate. It is all true. Lord, as we consider that fact, I thank you and praise you that we are able to share this now with those that we come in contact with, that we would use this as a a tool to share our faith, to evangelize those around us, but also that we would use it as that which causes obedience in us. And I thank you for the privilege that we have to see Job's example, to see you speaking with Job as you reveal yourself through your creation. Where we know that the New Testament backs this up as well, and we praise you for that. We praise you for what Paul said in Romans, that your invisible attributes are clearly seen. And as we recognize this today, I pray that we'd be excited about what you're doing and what you have accomplished. And may we be bold as we speak forth the truth. Lord, give us the boldness, the strength, and the courage to do so, but also give us the boldness and the courage and the strength to be obedient to you. As that is what our objective is this morning as we come before your word. We give you the glory and the honor for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, we stand with Job at the end of his book, listening to God describe creation for the purpose of invoking in Job the right heart. A right heart for service, but a right heart. You see, Job has gone through a tremendous amount of ordeal. If you know anything about the book of Job, you know that Job's been through some tough stuff. He's lost his family. He's lost his camels. He's lost his cattle. He's lost his horses. He's lost everything. He's been sick. Uh, God has allowed Satan to, to torment Job. So much so that Job's wife says, Job, curse God and die. Come on. His friends just about say the same thing. And yet we come to Job chapter 38 and following, and we see a man who is borderline selfish. He's about to go where he should not go. He's about to get that Eeyore mentality. Woe is me. Here we go again. And God says, no, wait a minute, Job. Let me reveal myself to you. And what's amazing is that God didn't reveal himself to Job in any other way than God has revealed himself to you and I. And so we, by the end of this morning, should stand as Job stands. Humble, repentant, and obedient before God. So we're going to look at Job. So God is going to make it clear how we should respond. So first, we're going to recognize that we must have humility before God. Humility before God. It is easy for you and I to have a prideful heart, a prideful ambition. God says, no, let's be humble. So humility before God. Secondly, a confession of God's might. See, Job is telling us what we ought to do. But he's telling us what we ought to do through what God is telling him. A confession of God's might. And finally, repentance of our pride. Repentance of our pride. If you want to be usable for the kingdom of God, and you want to to have an active part in what God is doing in the church's life here or wherever, 
you will recognize that there must be humility before God, confession of God's might, and repentance of our pride. So let's get into it. We're going to start here in Job chapter 38. This is where we were this morning for scripture reading, but I want to read the passage just previous to the one we read earlier. Job chapter 38, beginning in verses 1 through 3. Then God, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you and you will instruct me. Oh man. Think about what God just told Job. That's pretty powerful. But let's get into it. Because Job is challenged by the Lord. First God says, Job be a man. Which is interesting. I, I love that phrase. Job be a man. Be a man. But then he says this. He says, I'm going to ask you. And you instruct me. You instruct me, Job. You see, Job was darkening counsel without knowledge. That is that he was foolishly questioning God's justice and his righteousness in dealing toward Job. So Job is over here beginning to wonder, God, why is all of this taking place? And you and I do this exact same thing. We go, Lord, I, I'm trying to follow what you want me to do. I, I think I'm being obedient to your word. Why is this happening to me? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Don't raise your hand, but... Raise your hand in your heart if you've ever prayed that prayer. Lord, why is this taking place? I've been obedient to you. I've done what you want me to do. Now why are you doing this to me? It is easy to slip into where Job is at, especially considering what Job had endured. Yet to do so causes us to be ineffective as believers because we focus on us. We focus on ourselves. Instead of focusing on the Lord. And Job is starting to focus on himself. While Job may have been questioning, it is now God's turn to question. And Job, and it's Job's turn to answer and to instruct God. And God says, okay, here's the test. Let me ask you the questions. And we're going to run through the next two chapters really quickly. So follow with me. Job chapter 30. 38 rather, sorry. 38. Verse 4 says, Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Verse 12, God says, Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 22 of the same chapter, verse 22, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? Verse 32 of the same chapter. Can you lead forth a constellation in its seasons and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of heaven or fix their rule over the earth? Continue on with me. Verse 33. Verse 33, which we just read. Verse 35. Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Verse 39. Verse 39. Can you, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young, young lions? And you see, those are mostly just the heavenly things. And God says, you want me to go on, Job? He says, okay, let's go on. How about the earthly things? Chapter 39, verse 1. Do you know the time the mountain goat gives birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Verse 9. Will the wild ox consent to serve you or will he spend the night in your manger? 
verse 19. It says, Do you give the horse his might, or do you clothe his neck with a mane? Verse 26. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching his wings towards the south? Do you think Job got the point? I just read a few of them. Do you think Job got the point? Here's God in the whirlwind saying, Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you seen the storehouses? Have you given the horse its strength and its mane? Have you told the hawk how to fly? Have you been there when uh, the mountain goat does what I have commanded it to do and gives birth to the next generation? Those are only a select few. Many more examples of God's power over creation are listed. So let me ask you, did you get the point? Say, well, Job better have gotten a point. Let me ask you, did you get the point? When you read these, if you didn't get the point, take these home, these two chapters, and read these two chapters. Verses 38, or chapters 38 and 39. And marvel at God's power over creation. Did you get the point? Job did. Look at chapter 40. Chapter 40, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my, my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer. Even twice, I will not add, or I will add nothing more. When was the last time you answered as Job did? You watch the thundercloud move into town and you marvel at the awe and the power. When was the last time you said, Lord, I am insignificant. Great is your name. Job was overwhelmed by his guilt before God. It is good to marvel at the creation around us. If for no other reason but to understand that indeed we are insignificant, how then can we reply? Job understands the truth, and he understands that he understands nothing. You see, we, we puff ourselves up with knowledge and we say, Oh, we understand uh, many, many things. Yes, we may understand many, many things. But there are so many things that we do not understand. Oh, well, science has led us into a, a great and vast discovery. Science becomes God. No. You see, science can't even figure out why the grass converts sun's heat into energy that causes it to grow. They know what happens. They don't know why. That's not a God I want to serve. That's just grass. Job understands the truth that he understands nothing. So must you and I. You see, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And that's what we fall into when we begin to fall into this trap of living like the world, worshiping what is around us. And we recognize that that is just old age paganism. Because that is exactly what was going on with those who didn't have the word of God. So Job is made low, but now Job is made humble. Verse 5. It says, Once I have spoken, I will not answer, even twice, and I will add nothing more. You see, Job promises silence. He spoke up once, but he promises not to speak again. You see, Job spoke up earlier, 
Because he's getting this attitude of, I'm righteous, God. I'm doing what is it? I'm doing what's right. And all this stuff is happening to me. I'm doing what I should be doing, and yet all of this stuff is falling on me. And Job says here in chapter 40, verse 5, Lord, I'll be silent. What is amazing to me is that God does nothing other than what you and I can observe. You and I can go out our door this afternoon and watch the storm clouds build off to the west. At least that's what the weather guys tell me. You can build, you can watch those storms coming in. You can go out into the country and watch a hawk soar. You see, nothing is different than what you and I can observe, and yet this is the response that Job responds with, and it is appropriate. Because Job says, I will answer no more. In the light of the creation and the awesome display of God's power, Job adds nothing more. But there is something amazing. Because God continues in the next two chapters. And I want to ask you, why do you suppose God continued for two more chapters? Job's obviously got it. He's fallen down, he's made low, he's humble, and yet God says, wait a minute, i got two more chapters for you. Two more main examples. If you want to place yourself in God's shoes, if you want to try to question God's justice and judgment, then go ahead, let's see you try. Because I think God is moving from the realm of speaking specifically with Job to speaking to all of us. Because what he is about to say directly affects our world today. Do you know what God shows? Continue on with me in chapter 40. Verse 15, he says, Behold now, behemoth, which I made is well, as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Do you know what God just did? God took something that Job understood. He said, let, let me tell you about behemoth. Do you know who doesn't understand about behemoth? Us. Do you know why? We don't live with him. Job lived with him. Behemoth is a long-necked dinosaur, if you read the description. But then God said, but that's not enough. Let me continue on. Uh, verse four, or Chapter 41, verse 1. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? He says, let me tell you about a fire-breathing, water-dwelling animal. And as God does this, who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to Job, but I think he's talking to the rest of us as well. Because when we look at creation, you and I should stand in awe. When we look at the fossil record, you and I should stand at awe that God created it, it was destroyed in the flood, and that now we have the opportunity to examine it and understand the awesome power of our God who kept an animal the size of behemoth alive. And all of this leads to chapter 42 and a confession of God's might. Chapter 42, verses 1 through 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. You see here in verses 1 and 2, Job praises God's omnipotence. Omnipotence meaning God's strength. 
God concludes his questioning, not because there's nothing more, but because there is no need to continue on. God could have continued on and on and on and on and on, but there's no need. Job speaks, and in speaking, he praises the Lord for his unsurpassed power. His attribute is omni, that is all, omnipotent, that is powerful. The praise is worth our attention. Notice what he says. He says, God can do all things, and no purpose of His can be thwarted. You know where Job found his comfort? To endure what he had endured and still praise God? Because no matter what happened to him, God's glory will not be diminished. No matter what happened to him, God's plan for Job's life cannot be changed. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how many people deny the truth, no matter how many people worship the creature rather than the Creator, no matter how prideful you and I become, God's purposes will be accomplished. There is no single or collective power great enough to overcome God's power. That's what Job just said. Now, let's move that into the realm of our idea this morning, that we are to be obedient. We are to be obedient to observe the one objective that God left us. When Christ ascended into heaven, He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. You see, what Jesus said is, Obey me. And when you and I look at the church today, and we hear the statistics that I'm going to give tonight, and we look at what is taking place in the church, in our country, we recognize that things don't look good. But that doesn't mean that God's plans aren't, are thwarted. That means that God is about to conclude what He has started. And we can praise God for that. For Job, his assurance rests in this truth. Even having endured what he endured, the loss of family, the loss of friends, the loss of possessions, the ridicule of friends, and even his wife... He says, God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And as Job is honoring God's omnipotence, he's also honoring God's omniscience. God's omniscience. Job's confession acknowledges God's unlimited knowledge. And he does so by confessing something about Job, which we're going to look at in just a minute. But notice what he says. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared which I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. What Job is saying is, Lord, you knew it all. I didn't know it. So Job is saying, God, you are omniscient. You know everything. As the Lord walked Job through just the creation. This is, the Lord didn't walk Job through genetics. He didn't walk him through DNA. He didn't walk him through cells. He didn't walk him through any of that. This is just the general creation that you and I can see when we walk out those doors. And in that, Job is overwhelmed by the Lord. Next time we get a little high and mighty, I want you to stop and marvel at the creation and understand the truth that you understand very little, if anything. Do as Job did, and say, Therefore I have declared that which I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. You see, Job honors God's omniscience 
But he makes one more step. And he acknowledges himself as finite. You see, the problem with pride is that we think we are something that we are not. We lift ourselves up to a position in which we do not belong. Job believed himself to be able and worthy of questioning the Lord. The Lord said, no, Job, you're moving into a realm that you do not belong. And Job, at the end of these four chapters, confesses that he is severely limited. Notice what he says. He says, therefore, I declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. He says, God, I didn't know. God, I don't know. Before we are useful to the Lord, we need to come to know the truth of what Job discovers, that we are so limited. Job chapter 1, verse 1, Job is called blameless by none other than God Himself. But here at the end of the book, Job abhors himself. This has been the experience of the choicest of God's saints through the ages. You want to know why men and women were effective for the kingdom of God is because they understood what Job understood. They were righteous, but they they recognized that they were vile sinners. What did Paul say? When Paul began to move through this for us in the Corinthian letters, he begins to say, I sin, I don't know why. I do what I do not want to do, but I do it anyway. You see, the more one grows in grace, writes D.L. Moody, the meaner he is in his own eyes. The more you become like God in your actions and your attitudes, the more sinful you recognize you are. Because the more of it's revealed, the more of it's understood in the light of God. So that moves us to the repentance of our pride. Verses 4-6, through six, Job's speaking and he says, Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. You notice the change? Notice the change? I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. You and I should do this exact same thing. As we consider our role in fulfilling the main objective of every believer to make disciples, we need to follow this example. If you get nothing else from the sermon, get this one point. Repentance of our pride. First, we should listen to the Lord. Twice before, in the last four chapters, God tells Job, Job, you think you know better, instruct me. In this final chapter, let me read it to you again. Hear now, and I will speak, and I will ask you, God, and you instruct me. That's a proper relationship. That's where it ought to be. Job gets it. Job will ask, and he will allow God to instruct. This is 180 degrees from where Job was at just a few short verses ago. So we must listen. We must listen to the Lord. Then we must open our eyes. We must open our eyes. Look at verse 5. It says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. 
We should do more than hearing about the Lord and His Word. We should watch for the evidence. You see, you can come in, you can hear me. I can show you some of the evidence. I'm going to show you some of the evidence tonight. But if you're not watching with your eyes, you're going to miss it. You see, you need to hear it. That's important. Listen to the Lord. That's the first point. The second point is you need to see it. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. I want you to turn. keep your finger here. Turn there briefly. We're going to come back here in just a moment. Romans chapter 1. I quoted parts of this verse for you earlier. It's two verses. But I want you to see it with your own eyes. As that goes with where I'm going. Uh, seeing it with your own eyes. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. God is speaking about those who uh, have responded to ungodliness, that which they see around them. But verse 19, he says, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that we are without excuse. You know what God says? Look. Around you. Look at what's going on. Respond appropriately to what you see with your eyes. When God revealed this to Job, did God reveal some special knowledge to Job? No. God took Job outside and said, Look, let me tell you about the hawk. Let me tell you about the thunderstorm. You want to talk about lightning bolts? Are you the one who directs those? You want to talk about behemoth or Leviathan? You see, our ability to understand the Lord is not limited to the word of God which we hold. Oh, but so powerful is the ancient words that you hold. They're ancient, but they're not archaic. They're changing me and changing you as we just sang. But as we recognize that it is not limited to the word which we hold, but also we have access to the general revelation. This is special revelation. The word of God is special revelation. That which we have around us is general revelation. God is being revealed through the general aspects of day-to-day living, and that is what we see and observe and touch and feel and smell. You may not be a scientist, but that does not mean that you cannot be fascinated by looking up into a dark night sky. You may not be a scientist, but that doesn't mean that you can't marvel at God's wonder when you watch your birds through the watch the birds that God has created through your back window. You may not be a scientist, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy a mountain crested in brilliant white snow. You see, we should open our eyes. And as we open our eyes, instead of saying, oh, what a a beautiful mountain, we should say, what a wonder our God is. Listen, open our eyes, and repent. The other two are easy. This one's hard. Verse 6. Job says, therefore I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. The proper response to the Lord is repentance of our pride. After the confrontation between the Lord and Job, Job was convinced, overwhelmingly so, that he had no right to establish himself as the accuser and the critic of the Lord. 
This personal confrontation with God silenced his arguing and deepened his awe of God. The most complete example of repentance is Job's desire here. When he says, therefore I retract, that is, I pull back from my previous position, I recognize that it's wrong, I move back, and I repent in dust and ashes. I get as low as I possibly can. I repent completely and wholly before a righteous and just God. You see, before we can obey God's command to make disciples... We need to be humble before our omnipotent God. We need to acknowledge His omniscience. And we need to repent of our pride. God's creation is wonderful in causing this to take place in the life of the believer. And I marvel at God who said, you know what, sometimes my people need a reminder. Where is it that we go when we want to relax? Do you go, now, some of you may go shopping. I don't go shopping to relax. I'll tell you where I go to relax. I've got a favorite stream and a favorite lake in my favorite place in the mountains. That's where I go to relax. Do you know why? Because I marvel at my Creator God. And that is where I stand in awe of Him. Next time you begin to question God, I think it's time that we drive out into the country and marvel at our God. As we marvel at creation in our study this evening and our experiences throughout this week, let's remember the testimony of Job and be found in humble obedience to the Lord and watch the way he works in us as a church and as us individuals. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, as we bow our heads before you, I praise you because we have the incredible ability to go and observe the creation around us. Lord, I pray that that would cause us to be obedient before you as we recognize that you are Almighty God. But I also pray that this would cause us and direct us in such a way that we would humbly bow before you, repent of our pride and our arrogance, repent of our questioning and accusing, and recognize that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for the eight C's that we have just begun to look at. And as we move into corruption next week, may we understand the problem that is in our world today and how to best answer that problem with the salvation message of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you have taught us in your word today. In your son's name we pray. Amen.